0: Here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, Arden First. How is everyone doing? Good to see so many smiling faces. That was an incredible time of worship, wasn't it? Praise God. Welcome to all of our guests online. So good to have you here. We're going to be in Acts 14, so go ahead and turn there. We're doing a series within a series. We're going through the whole book of Acts, verse by verse. But as we go through the book, there are certain themes. So for the past three weeks, we've been doing a series called Gospel Grit. If you got gospel grit, you don't. All right, you guys have been paying attention. So go ahead and turn there. And as you turn there, I just want to encourage you that grit is the tenacity not to give up. It's the ability to stick with something, though all hell is breaking loose. Though the world is going astray, you stay focused and fixed and founded on God's word. Though troubles hit you hard like a storm, if you got gospel grit, you don't quit. You don't give up. You keep moving forward. You know why? Because there's something powerful about the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Amen. So as we read this text, I want to ask you, do you have staying power? As we conclude part three of Gospel Grit, a little preview, we're going to talk about what it's like to have staying power. What is it like when everything comes against you as you do your ministry, as you do what God calls you to do? And yet you remain faithful. Let's look at Acts 14, starting in verse 21. It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they came down to Italia. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, when they had come together... And gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Father, as we read your word, we pray that you would bless the proclamation of your word and the gospel. Lord, help us not to result just in information, but in transformation. Help this to have an internal impact upon our souls and lives for those who are present and those who are listening online. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about four aspects of staying power. What is it like to have gospel grit? Number one, gospel grit is the dedication to develop disciples over time. Look back at verse 21 as well as verses 24 and 25. Look at the places they retrace when they had preached the gospel in Derby, that city is Derby, and they made many disciples. You may want to underline many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. Skip down to verse 24, it says they passed through Pisidia, Pamphylia, they preached the word in Perga, and Italia. So here's the thing Paul and Barnabas continued their missionary journey in Derby, and we see that they made a loop back. Let's throw the map up on the screen. So, for those of you who are more visual learners, This red line represents the areas they went to in the first missionary journey. The blue line is the completion back. And what we're going to see here is Paul and Barnabas had some grit. They had some gospel grit. So look at the result in Derby. They made many disciples. This was Paul's MO. It wasn't just to see people get saved. That was part of it, but it was to make disciples. A lot of times in the American church, we confuse people getting saved with making disciples. See, salvation, that is justification, it happens in a moment of faith. But discipleship happens over a lifetime. Someone can get saved by accepting Christ by faith alone. But disciples are not made in a day, but they're developed daily. Discipleship's a lifelong call to follow Jesus. So let's uh, leave this map up here for just a moment. Let's look at Lystra. Look at Lystra on the map. Paul and Barnabas retraced their steps back. So if you remember last week, Lystra was a place that Paul got stoned. We're not talking about the 60s. Remember, this is stoned with rocks. He got stoned. They thought he was dead, so they dragged him outside the city. And all of a sudden, the disciples gathered around him. And what happened to Paul? He got back up, and he went into the very city that tried to kill him. Talk about gritty, right? He gets up. You guys try to kill me. I'm back. It's like, okay. All right, next is Iconium. That was two weeks ago. This is where a violent attempt was made. They had a death plan, a plot to kill Paul, but he found out about it and he went on to the next city. All right, Pisidian Antioch. If you guys remember, this is the place where the leading some of the leading Jews stirred up the women of the city against Paul. And I mentioned this three weeks ago. Why would anyone stir up the women of the city? And I did not answer it for obvious reasons, right? Rhetorical question. But All the women were stirred up against Paul. And so it brings up the question, why would you go back to the place where they tried to kill you? All the women in the city are against you, all the prominent, and the politicians were against you. We're going to talk about that. All right. He goes to Pamphylia. If you notice, Pamphylia, it's a region. It's not a city. So it's kind of like in the United States. We have the South. We have New England. We have regions. And within regions, you have states and cities. So Pamphylia is a region. So he goes to this region, and then he makes his way to Perga. You guys remember what happened to Perga? Who abandoned Paul in Perga? Does anybody remember? John Mark. So John Mark bails out. So as Paul is retracing his steps, can you imagine? He's not a robot, okay? He's bold, he's got grit, but he's got emotions just like you and I. Can you imagine what he would be feeling when he went into a place and like, there's that lady that wanted to kill me. (laughs) Hello, you remember me? (laughs) And then he goes and he's like, oh, there's where John Mark bailed out, you know? It's kind of like when a pastor goes to a former church he pastored and then you see the the people and you're like, oh, there's the person that was great, and there's the person that didn't like me, right? We've got Pastor Jeff with us. Welcome Pastor Jeff from First Baptist Noah. He's on sabbatical, so welcome his family. So it's like he goes back and he retraces the steps. So it brings up the question, why? Paul, why would you do that? Like wouldn't you just make a straight line back to Antioch? Like, why would you retrace the steps? And the reason why was he wasn't there just to see people pray the prayer of salvation, walk an aisle, get baptized. He was there to see disciples made. That was his whole motive. And this brings up a modern term called the power of the comeback. You ever, ever heard that phrase? The power of the comeback. It's like in basketball. You guys remember Kobe Bryant when he had tore his Achilles and he was kind of really struggling. But his last game, how many points did he score? by now? 60 points. That was the power of the comeback. It's kind of like you see a business owner that fails, and he or she learns from the lessons that failure is not a person. It's an event. I'm going to learn, and then they become successful. So a modern story. How many of you have ever slept in an Airbnb before? Some of you own Airbnb. All right. Well, these are the three guys that started it, and their story wasn't so hot to begin with, wasn't so successful. In fact, they couldn't even barely pay their rent so you can imagine this bachelor pad. They, they're struggling, probably living off ramen noodle, you know, like couch surfing. And all of a sudden, they can't pay much rent, but their city is booked out. They're having some kind of conference, and all the motels are booked out. And these guys have this ingenious idea. Why don't we blow up a few air mattresses and advertise, hey, you can have this air mattress, and we'll feed you breakfast, thus Airbnb. So that was back in 2007. Fast forward, this is as of 2019, through Airbnb, all the users, they have made over 80 billion dollars through Airbnb. So think about that, going from being broke is a joke, sleeping on an air mattress, right? Some of them probably did, we don't, I'm sure they had their own beds, but having people sleep on air mattresses and then all of a sudden the company. So when you translate that to the gospel, what we're doing is far more important than a business, right? What we're doing is far more important than athletics, right? As much as we like athletics, as much as we have business owners, God bless you all, we celebrate that. What we're trying to do is get people to receive something that changes their eternity. Because if you help someone financially, you help them for a little while. If someone excels in athletics, yes, they do for a little while. But the gospel is something that changes your forever, your forever after. So Paul's strategy was this. If you look at your listening guide, he had basically had a six-step strategy. As you read Acts, this is kind of a paradigm. The first one was to preach the gospel. And what is the gospel? We mention this every week. The gospel is the message that Jesus Christ died for you. He was buried. He rose the third day. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And if you receive what Christ did by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, you will be saved by faith alone. But faith is never alone because when God moves inside, your life changes. And you begin to live a different life because you're a new creation in Christ. That is the good news. So he preached the gospel. When people received the gospel, step two was to make what? Make disciples. So I don't want you just to get baptized. I want to see you grow. I want to see you progress. So why did Paul retrace these cities that kicked him out and tried to kill him? He wanted to make disciples. Number three, establish local churches in each city. Number four, raise up and empower leaders for each church. Number five, stay in touch with each church and repeat the process where Christ is not known. Have you ever heard anyone in Asheville, Hendersonville, or wherever you live, make this statement, I don't like organized religion? You ever heard that statement? Well, did you know that's not New Testament church? <laughs> if you ever make that statement, when you read the Bible, it was, it was organized? Because here's the thing, a church is a body. A body is an organism. But have you ever noticed an organism has to have organization if an organism doesn't have an organization, it produces radical cells. And what happens when radical cells come in your body, humanly speaking? It produces a disease, right? So here's the thing. For someone to say, I'm not about organized religion, well, what are you about then? Disorganized religion? <laughs> Making it up yourself? See, part of the American culture, if, if we can just take a moment to speak to this, is that many in our culture worship the God of autonomy. I want to do it my way. I want to do the church my way. I want things this way, that way. We live in an instant culture. You ever notice that? There's instant oatmeal. There's instant coffee, which I think Joe Perry's been drinking. drinking it. Do not drink instant coffee. I think it's a sin. We're against that Arden First Baptist. But we live in such an instant society where everything's at a little walk. But church is not that way. Church is an organism that has to be organized. So we're going to see what Paul does in this in passage. He organizes the church. So here's the thing. Like gospel grit is having the staying power to make disciples because while accepting christ happens in a moment discipleship is over a lifetime so that's why paul is going back and pouring into these churches i like to encourage you that whenever you sow the gospel god can help you reap a believer but whenever you sow into the believer then you can reap a disciple it takes time to make disciples all right number two The second principle, how do we have staying power when it comes to gospel grit? Gospel grit is the determination to, what, build up believers in their faith. Look at verse 22. I love this. This is a really cool verse. It says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to, what, continue in the faith and saying we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So what's interesting with Paul That word strengthening, this is quite fascinating. If you go back to the original Greek, there's a a phrase, one of the the phrases in the Greek, it's sterozo, it's sterozo. In our English, we have a word called steroid, that's where we get our word from. Steroid, obviously they're outlawed for obvious reasons, bad effects in the body, but what do steroids do to the body? They build up the physical body, make you muscular. Okay, now there's not a direct parallel with this word, but follow me. This word sterizo is the idea of spiritually building up someone like someone is weak and famished and all of a sudden you build them up. You give them spiritual strength and all of a sudden it's like an outside influence pressing on someone. Hey, you're going to be OK. So I would encourage everyone at Arden first to be people that are bodybuilders. We build people up. You guys have been there in a grocery store. You see someone coming and you're like there's so and so and you walk the other way. Why? Because they're going to bring you down. They're going to suck the life out of you, right? But as believers, we're called to do what? Stare as though we're called to build people up. So Paul, Barnabas, strengthened the souls. And then he exhorted them to continue in the faith. It's like Jude says in the book of Jude, Jude I think it's one three, that we are to contend for the faith once for all delivered to all the saints. Think about that, contend. Now, I've got to make a little caveat We are to contend for the faith without being contentious. What does that mean? Well, have you seen people that are really, they love Jesus, but they're kind of hard to be around? You ever met people like that? And it's like this. The gospel message is offensive. It's hard telling someone they're a sinner and you're going to go to hell unless you repent. That's that's an offensive message, right? So we are to present the offensive message of the gospel in the least offensive way possible. So what does that mean? Well, sometimes it means having a conversation. Sometimes it means to, you know, give them a card and invite them to church. Sometimes it means going over their house. A lot of times when you think of gospel presentation, you think of someone yelling on a street corner with a 1611 Bible in their hands and turn or burn. And it's like, here's the thing about the gospel. It's good news. So you've got to present the bad news, but it's got to lead to good news along the way. And if all I hear is I'm going to hell, is that good news? It's like saying you're sick and there's no cure. The gospel is, there's bad news, you and I are infected with sin to the core, but the good news is Jesus died for it. So we got to present the offensive message of the gospel in the least offensive way possible. So he goes on, he builds up their faith, he encourages them to continue in the faith, and Colossians, there's a parallel to this, it says, him we preach, Jesus we preach. And it's interesting how in some churches they don't, talk about Jesus much anymore. Have you ever noticed that? Whatever is hot politically or culturally, that's the series. Whatever is going to make society add a boy, add a girl. But Paul tells us that if you want to make disciples, you don't preach yourself. You don't talk about what the hot topics are in culture. That's not the theme of your sermon. The theme of your sermon should always be about who? Jesus Christ. We are followers of Christ, right? Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, what? Perfect in Christ, mature in Christ. So here's the thing. God has created us to make disciples. And as Joe said in the beginning, it's great that we're in rows right now and we learn in rows, but discipleship takes place best in circles, not rows. So in other words, if you guys have a question It's hard in this form to answer every individual question, right? But when you're in a small group of, say, 10 people, 12 people, then learning begins to go deeper because you can ask questions, you can apply the message. So I would encourage you to really get plugged in community. We have this discipleship pathway. We're going to pop this on the screen. In uh, two decades of doing ministry, one of the number one questions I get asked by people is, well, what's my next step? That's kind of the number one question people ask. Okay, I prayed the prayer. I'm a Christian. What's my next step? So what we wanted to do is make a pathway that's simple so you guys know where you're at So step one is you're active in worship. that's pretty easy. You show up for church. but we also encourage you worship's not just a service it's a lifestyle. So Romans 121 and two talks about offering your body a living sacrifice. so start living the life, but the worship service is where you glorify God, you get encouraged so as you go out the, the daily grind, you're lifted up. And you're encouraged, and your eyes are on Jesus. So that's step one. Step two is you're connected to community. That's the Arden Group piece. So if you're just coming to the big gathering, the next base is join a small group. Well, how do you join a small group? Well, just send us an email. We'll share. We got groups for every ages and stages. We got groups for babies, even right now while we're doing. They're in their small group. We got groups for senior adults. That's going on. Uh, Joe and I, along with Amy and, and my wife Lori, we lead a group for people in their 30s and 40s. So if you're in your 30s and 40s, we're having a southern boil to on Tuesday. You know what a southern boil is? Like where they spread the newspaper and you got corn and is it crabs and shrimp? and uh, it's, Yeah, so that's going on. And if you're like, I'm not 30 or 40, well, you can come help cook and be a part of it. So we'll, we'll recruit you. But there's groups for every age. So look at that. Step 3 is embracing your place through serving and giving. So like I'm in worship, I'm in a group. Did you know that God created you for something greater than just being here and taking up air on earth, right? You're 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 created for a mission. You are made for a mission. So we have Arden Serve teams where you can serve and get involved. And then finally step 4 is multiply. What does it mean to multiply yourself? We have a saying here, each one reach one. So we've challenged everyone that calls Arden their home. You've got 12 months Try to win one person to Christ this year. And you're like, well, how do I do that? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna do some training in upcoming days to show you, but it's having gospel conversations. It's telling your testimony. It's leading them through the scriptures and pointing them to Christ. So that's, that's pretty simple, right? So if all of you are at least on base one today, so my goal is go to base two. Take the next step. Join a group this week. So here's the thing. There's a warning before we go on the next verse. He says that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Many tribulations. Have you ever had a bad day before? Here's a p- few pictures of people having bad days. Um, this guy was getting ready to work on his report, and all of a sudden, does that ever happened? Maybe it's the cat, maybe it's the dog, maybe it's the kid. Not good. All right. This guy did not know his clearance level. And you thought it was a bad day for him, but look at the person behind him in the convertible top sewage wow all right this guy was going to go on painting his house had to hit the brakes and look what happened all right next picture do not exceed 8,000 pounds he did not read the sign bad day all right a lady was getting ready to start her day but she didn't turn her coffee cup the right way it was too early all right and finally an engagement picture. I proposed to my girlfriend and proceeded to drop the ring down the go- gulf, golfer hole. Wow. Wow, groundhog. Man, how are you going to find it? I don't know. So here's the thing. The word tribulations, you may want to underline this. In the Greek, it's the word philipsis. philipsis. And it has the idea of, philipsis is the idea of pressure. Pressure upon its affliction, its anguish, its burdens, its persecution. So here's Thelipsis, give you an idea. Has anybody ever put extreme pressure on you where you just feel troubled? I have two sons that do that quite often. They're not here, so I can say it. My girls are great, but my boys, I know phil- Thelipsis. And the challenge is, it's not a matter when you have trouble, or if it's when, because you're going to have it. Look at what jesus said in john 16:33, and you're listening god he said in this world you will have what troubles you're going to have trials and he said but be of good cheer i've overcome the world in james he says my brown brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials not if when in romans paul another passage says if we indeed suffer for with christ that we may be also glorified together so as long as you're on this side of the story There's going to be trouble on your way to glory. As long as you're on this side of the equation, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I apologize on behalf of the televangelists that say that when you pray this prayer, you give a seed offering, all of a sudden that Ferrari's going to drive up in your driveway and you're like, it didn't happen. That you're going to get the dream spouse, which by the way, all of you married got the dream spouse. I may need to remind you so that God did answer that prayer. Whoever you married is the dream spouse. So the grass is not green on the other side. Amen. So here's the thing, like, we expect this world to be great. But when you read the Bible, think about the apostles. How many of them were martyred? Most of them, except John, right, were martyred, okay? How many of them had your best life now? None of them. <laughs> so here's the thing in this world, you're going to have suffering, you're going to have persecution, you're going to have all this stuff. And you're like, Timothy, that's very depressing. How can you preach a positive message with words like that? Well, we're looking from an eternal timeline, not from a 100 years here on earth. Because if you look from eternal timeline, Paul says that these afflictions are just light and momentary. But they're treasuring up for us a glory that is beyond what you could even imagine. It's far worth everything you had to go through. So let's put the scenario. If you had the worst life possible, everyone you loved died, you were sick all your life, uh, but you loved Jesus and you served him and you died and go to heaven... And when you enter into the realms of glory, you'll look back at this life and say, you know what? It was worth it all. You know why? God has all of eternity to show me his love and his kindness and his goodness. And this is just sanctified speculation, but you ever wonder why God made so many planets out there? You ever wonder why the galaxy's there? Why so many stars? Could it be that when you get to heaven, you'll get to explore some of God's creation? And for those of you who love traveling It's not like heaven, you're floating around on a cloud, but it's like I get to worship God. And part of that worship is I get to explore his creation. All of creation tells a story about how beautiful and amazing God is. So if you're going through trouble here, just imagine yourself soaring through the galaxies. Imagine yourself discovering new stars. But more than that, being with Jesus Christ. So it's worth every trouble you may experience. Amen. Number three, someone say gospel grit. When you got gospel grit, you what? Don't quit, alright. Gospel grit is the design to empower godly leaders in the church. Look at verse 23. It says, so when they appointed elders in some churches? No, it says every church. And praying with fasting, they commended, commended them to the Lord for whom they had believed. So no, notice what Paul and Barnabas did. They retraced their steps to build up the disciples, build up their faith, and encourage them to stay faithful and continue in the faith. But then they established leaders. Why? Because every church needs leaders, right? Have you ever been in, let's just put yourself in a job situation where you didn't really have a boss or anyone managing? How did that go? Everyone just did their own thing, right? Have you ever been in a healthy situation where the leaders in that organization did a good job and people felt like it was a good environment? You ever notice how things thrive when they're healthy? A lot of times churches talk about church growth. But let me tell you the secret of church growth is church health. If you want anything to grow, you just get it healthy because healthy things grow. Unhealthy things do what? They begin to die. The church is no different. Now the church is going to live forever, but I'm talking about the local entity. Why do some churches close down? Why do some churches not make it? Well, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus and we've got to be active about the message of proclaiming the gospel to every man, woman, and child that Jesus saves. He's got a great plan and his plan is for everybody that receives it. So they establish elders and it brings a question a lot of people have in church. You ever thought about what is the difference between an elder and a deacon? How many of you ever asked that question? You have elders and deacons. What are they? Okay, A lot of people ask that question. And here's the confusion. In many Baptist churches, deacons function like elders. You have the deacon board. And who's the deacon board? It's the people, guys that make all the decisions. Is, biblically, is that a deacon or is that more like an elder? You see the confusion? So on your listening guide, we have the chart up. Uh, here's the character qualities from 1 Timothy 3. This chart was taken from AnthonyHowder.com. But he does a great job summarizing. Both elders and deacons need to have one wife. In other words, you're not a womanizer. Character, okay. Respectable, not a drunkard. So if someone's getting laced up on Friday night, that's not an elder, not a deacon. Not a lover of money. So if it's all about money, that's their God. That would disqualify them. They manage their household well, manage their children well. All right, look on the elder side. Above approach, sober-minded, self-controlled hospitable, able to teach, not violent. I remember recently, I'm not going to, to call it the name of the church, but um, it was on the news. They had a like a fisticuff out in the church parking lot. They had a church meeting, didn't go well, and people were swinging. It made News 13. That's that's not a definition of uh, what it would be like if you were one of the leaders, right? Not a new convert, thought well by outsiders. Okay, let's look at the deacon side. Not double tongue. You're like, well, why would a deacon not be double Tom? Well, we're going to talk about the deacon's role is this serve ministries, where they're servant leaders. So if a deacon is working with people and people are disgruntled and a deacon has a tendency to gossip, guess what that's going to do? Divide the church. It's not going to unite the church. Um, holding to the mystery of the faith, tested first, proved blameless. So here's the basic difference. If you look on your listening guide, elders, they're the ones that are protecting the flock. They're shepherding the flock. They're guarding the doctrine. They're, they're providing the direction. What may help you is synonymous with the word elder is the word pastor or overseer. So think of elders as pastors, okay? Called pastors. So that helps you. Okay, now I get a deacon on the other hand. A deacon is the one that leads in the, the practical daily affairs of the church. Think about the widows and orphans. Think about in Acts 6. It doesn't mention the word deacon but they were the forerunner to the deacon ministry. What do they do? They helped the widows that needed food. That's the deacon. So the, the elders allows them to focus on the spiritual aspect, the word of God, the doctrine, the gospel, making sure we're heading in the right direction. And it frees up the deacons to focus on the physical. People get hungry. People have needs. People's houses sometimes need taken care of. People need phone calls. People need support. So that's the elder and deacon ministry. And what I want to encourage you at Arden, typically every year we have nominations. Last year we had COVID, so we didn't. So we're going to we're going to begin to take nominations for elders for the church to add to our leadership council. So we're looking basically for four C's. You may want to write this down. The four C's are calling. Does the person feel called to this? If they're not called to oversight, then it's not going to go very well. So calling. The second C is the word character. Do they have character? We mentioned the character here in 1 Timothy 3, as well as Titus. The other one is chemistry. Do they fit the chemistry of the church? Like, is there going to be a fight every meeting? Or there is fisticuffs in the parking lot. Is that going to be the result if this person ends up? The other one is competency. Not just ability, but do they have the time? A lot of people are called and have the character, but their time doesn't allow. So during this month and next month, we're going to allow you as the congregation to submit names and you can email it to the office at ardenfbc.com. Submit names. And what the council is going to do, they're going to vet the names. And we're looking to add two new elders to the leadership council. So that process is going to take place during the summer. So you can email that. Uh, the deacon ministry, many of you have requested and wanted us to bring the deacon ministry back to uh, thriving elements so we're working on that. So stay tuned for that. But the deacon ministry is going to be the ministry team leaders. Where a lot of churches struggle... And some of you have seen this where it's a one-size-fits-all deacon ministry. Where it's, you ever seen where one deacon calls like ten families and that's what deacons do? Well, what if you're not gifted in the area? How many of you don't necessarily like the phone? <laughs> all right? Well, in and, and Arden, a deacon ministry is different ministry team leaders. So you may be overseeing a mission team and you're providing servant leadership for that. Someone else may be the ministry of helps, like helping repair a widow's house. So we're gonna, we're gonna organize you based upon your giftings. It's not gonna be a one size fits all. So Paul and Barnabas, what were they doing by electing leaders? What were they doing? It's the power of delegation. Have you ever noticed that when you delegate, then you can celebrate? Great delegation leads to great celebration. Let me give you a practical illustration. How many of you have ever looked at your neighbor and you see like the mom or dad out there mowing the grass, but the teenager's there on the Nintendo and you're like, What's going on here? (laughs) Lori and I will see like, man, the mom's out there mowing the grass and they've they've got kids and they're, what's going on? Well, it's like this. If you don't delegate, you can't celebrate. So here's the thing. This works not just in the church. We're talking about the church context in this text, but in your family. Listen, if you got kids, put them to work, okay? And I'm not talking about slave later. I'm talking about responsibility because what happens when they go to college and get away? They're ill prepared for life. You know why? Mommy and daddy did it all for them including their clothes, and they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm so scared. And it's like, you're 18, okay? You're a grown man, okay? But for those of you, we have several business owners. Whenever you delegate, let me explain how this process works. It's very simple. You want to encourage people. You want to equip people, then empower them. What I mean by encourage them, it's like, hey, listen, I see this in you. You have this strength, this gift. Then you want to show them how to use it. That's the equipping part. And then you empower them. Go do it and I'll, I'll serve alongside of you. So the scripture is not just applicable to the church with elders and deacons, but it's applicable to your business. It's applicable to your family, whatever life style that you have as far as work or some of you work at home. Um, listen, there's there's many ways to delegate. OK, so delegation leads to what celebration. The reason why some of you are stressed out, you don't delegate. All right, moving on. Number four. Gospel grit is the delight of returning home to celebrate God's grace. Now, I love verses 26 through 28. Look at the text. Beautiful. From there, they sailed to Antioch. Okay, let's throw the map back up if we can get that back on the screen. All right. So you notice there's two Antiochs. There's the Antioch up north, and there's the Antioch of Syria. Okay, Syrian Antioch. So they traveled back. And you're like, well, how long were they gone on this mission trip? Many scholars think at least a year. So put yourself in the Apostle Paul's sandals, okay? Imagine this is your first missionary journey. You've been stoned, almost dead. You've been run out of town. Women of the city are against you. Politicians are against you. You've been kicked out. You've been scorned. You've been ill-treated. Are you ready for a (laughs) homecoming? It's like we're home, sweet home. So Antioch was this homecoming, and they could not wait to be back. And we have a homecoming today, okay? You didn't know this, but our Vermont missionaries are back. So come on up, Vermont team. Just stand down here. All the Vermonters, come on up. Let's give them a hand. So as they come up, we're going to, God willing, work on preparing a video. And you guys come on up. Other Vermonters here? I know we had a lot in the first service. Um, We had a team of six people that went up to Vermont. And shared the gospel. And you'll notice one of these videos, someone pulled a gun. I don't know if it's loaded or not. Right there. So they were ministering to homeless. They were doing remodeling. They were working with another church. And uh, so here's what I want to get to, the, to you with this. We're going to send people out on mission. And a lot of times it's short term. It's like a you know, short mission trip. We're getting ready to send Susan and there's another group of people in the community going to South Dakota. And we have other connections in New York City. So we're going to be sending people out on mission. And they come back and it's a time of celebration. So what we're going to try to do with these guys is get a video so you can hear some of the stories. We don't have time in this service. So let's give them a hand. Appreciate you guys. So I want you to think about this. It says they, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed... So I want you to think about Paul, as great as Paul was, okay, Apostle Paul, he was accountable to a local church, right? Have you ever thought about that? Paul, Antioch was his home church. How many people today do we see that are evangelists or leaders and like, where's your home church? Well, it's the capital C church. Really? Where's that in the Bible? Everyone in the Bible had a home church, right? So I'd encourage you, if God called you to be a missionary, evangelist, a a Bible teacher, whatever. You need to find home base. And Antioch for them was the place where they had encouragement. They had accountability. They had financial support, most likely. Antioch was coming home. And there are some here today that, like, you've been looking for your home church. You've been looking for your Antioch. My family, my mom and dad and my siblings, I'm the youngest of six, we grew up in a church in West Asheville. And it was her Antioch. I was there all my life until, you know, left for ministry. And it was so good that when you get to come home, you know, the home church, and you feel that family. And if you've been looking for a place to call home, Arden is a great place. We are a perfect place for imperfect people. How many imperfect people do we have out there? All right. Um, One of our sayings is everyone's welcome. Because nobody's perfect and anything's possible. So if you're imperfect, you got flaws, listen, you'll fit right in because the reason why God's grace changes us. His truth transforms us. So we all come to the cross broken and fallen sinners and we leave the cross as sinners who have been saved by grace. And we are still works in progress. Amen. So one thing I want to point out before we close this message out is notice verse 28. Verse 27, they reported all that God had done. And verse 28, they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Have you ever noticed the pauses in the Bible? Paul, a lot of times, a lot of you think of him as this type A that never stops, keeps going. But notice he stayed at Antioch a long time. Why did he stay a long time? I'll think about it. This guy's almost died. He's been stoned. He's been persecuted. He's been mocked. So even the apostle Paul, as gritty as he was... He needed time to recharge. So I want to encourage you to avoid two extremes. The one extreme over here is rust out. God doesn't want anyone to rust out. You know what rust out is? It means you're just sitting there. I'm just sitting in my chair on my blessed assurance, hanging on to Jesus comes. That's rust out. That's called being inactive. Okay, God doesn't want you to rust out. If you're not serving, you're swerving. On the other hand, some of you are guilty of burnout. Show of hands, how many of you have ever experienced burnout before in anything in life? All right, a lot of you, okay? Now, ministry, it's easy to get burnout. It really is because most churches will never tell you no. They'll tell you to keep going, right? Keep going, keep serving because they're still lost people, right? They're still lost people. Keep going. But if you notice, Jesus often withdrew to solitary places to pray. Jesus at one point asked his disciples to go for, for uh, on the other side to get some, some rest obviously a crowd met him on the other side but the intentionality was let's rest paul as amazing as he was he needed rest so what i want to encourage you is as i'm encouraging you to serve and step up we also, also want to create a culture where if you are serving in a leadership position you have times of break and renewal so we want to encourage you some of you i'll be talking to you to say hey do you need do you need a break do you, do you need a rest Because what happens in churches, let's put in the kids' ministry, To say you're serving every Sunday. What happens? You get burned out. So we're trying to create a culture where everyone's serving and then there's rest and margin built out. So what I want to encourage you as we look at this, Paul and Barnabas knew, knew their mission. The gospel had gone to which people group? To the Gentiles, right? They preached to the Jews. There's some Jews that got saved, but the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas celebrated their win. So I want to ask you, do you have a win for your life? Have you defined what the win is? For them, it was to make disciples. What is your win? How do you define success in your life? It be said that the win for us is being faithful to God, right? We want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. At Arden, the win is for you to become more like Jesus every day. If you become more like Jesus every day, that's a win for us. At Arden, the win is for everyone to win one person to Christ this year. Wouldn't that be amazing if everyone had someone sitting next to them that they won to Christ? I mean, that, that would just be phenomenal. And, you know, we do something called Believer's Baptism. And typically you see me up there baptizing. But here's the cool thing. If you lead someone to Christ, we're going to give you the opportunity to baptize them. Wouldn't that be cool? We're like, how do I do? We'll, we'll show you how to baptize. You've got to dunk them and bring them back up and we'll clap. How many of you have ever baptized? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever baptized? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool to baptize someone this year that you led to Christ? So that's, that's some things we're looking forward to. So I want to encourage you as we look at this text, let's, let's throw the big idea on the screen. Let's summarize all this. How do we summarize this into just a short phrase? Gospel grit is the staying power to empower multiplying disciples for Jesus. So here's the thing. You see Paul and Barnabas... They stayed true to the mission. They didn't bail out. They didn't burn out. They didn't rust out. They stayed true. And then they returned home. And then they were sent out again, and then you come back home. You're sent out again, and you come back home. So what is God doing in your life? Let's, here's some practical steps. How do we contextualize this? A few action steps. If you look on your listening guide, the first action step is invest your time in a few people over the long haul. If you want to make disciples, here's a formula you can memorize. More time with fewer people yields greater results. More time with fewer people yields greater results. The reason why we're not effective is we're, we're like, hey, how are you with everybody? But we're not deep with anybody. You ever notice that? It's kind of like the idea of someone walking around the neighborhood. Hey, neighbor, how are you? Hey, and you're saying hey to everybody. And it's like, well, do you really know that person? Well, no. It's okay to say hey, but what, what would happen if you developed Deep relationships with a few people. Look at the model of Jesus. How many people did he spend most of his time with? Twelve, right? And he had a mission to save the world, but he started with twelve. So invest your time. To be effective in the kingdom, you have to pour your life into a few people. All right, second application is to become a bodybuilder. You remember that word, strengthening? You know, you want to build people up. So I want to encourage you to use your gifts, talents, and ability. Some of you are so gifted in a certain ministry area you could really change the trajectory of this church just by getting involved. Some of you, God has blessed in so many ways, and God could use you to make a big difference in this church. And a cool story, I've shared this in the past, some of you have never heard this story, but Joe Perry and his family were able to come because we had one person that wasn't even a member say, how can I help? And they wrote a check for two years to help pay Joe's salary. One person I mean, think about that. It's like, how does that happen? We couldn't afford to bring him on. But one person said, hey, I want to make a difference. And guess what? Many of you are here today because one person wrote a check. God can use you. The other one is celebrate the win. A lot of times in life, we are so B-U-S-Y. You ain't got no alibi. You're busy, busy, busy. <sighs> yeah. that you just don't pause to celebrate. When's the last time you had a celebrate God party? for all that he's done when's the last time you paused and said god you know it's like the old hymn what does the old hymn say count your many blessings what is it name them one by one wouldn't that be cool if we did that individually and as a church so as you lead people to christ in the upcoming year we want to celebrate that we want to capture that in video and in story and get it out there so other people can be encouraged by what god is doing through you so I have a video to summarize this whole series. We watched it last week. It's a good summary. So we're going to it's just two minute video. So if you'll pay attention for just a moment. series as we wrap it up as you develop gospel grit not only will you grow but you'll see god's kingdom expand and it's not for your glory but your story is to bring who glory It's to bring god glory let us pray father thank you for the word of god which is powerful and living thank you that i'm a part of a church that believes every single word of the bible and that we believe the word of god has power to change lives So as we pray right now in a spirit of prayer, let your seat be your sanctuary. No one looking around. How many would say, Pastor Timothy, I want to develop more gospel grit. I want to be a little more gritty. I want more staying power. Please pray for me. Just lift up your hands. Hands going to ball over online. Go ahead and raise your hand in your living room. Father, you see the hands lifted towards heaven. And God, as we talk about your truth, we also have to confess where we've fallen short of it, where we've sinned. Where we've not been faithful, where we've bailed out, where we've given up before you've told us to stop. Forgive us, God, for that. And help us to have more grit. As the believers continue to pray, every week we give you a chance, for those of you who have never received the gospel, to receive it. We've told you that the gospel is the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, my sins. He was buried, he rose again the third day. So that if you receive what Jesus did on the cross, by grace alone, Through faith alone in Christ alone, you will be saved. Your life will change. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, do so right now. Say, Say a prayer like this in your own words. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm calling upon you. Your word tells me whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So Jesus, I pray that you would come into my life. I want to follow you as my Lord, my Savior. Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. I do confess and repent of them. And I make the decision to accept what you did on the cross by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. If you made a decision today, please let us know. A few announcements before we have this closing song. If you have an offering, there's baskets in the back and on the table. If you would like to partake of the Lord's Supper, we have this available every week. If you're in a right relationship with God, just remember it's there for you. You don't have to be a member here. As we partake of the bread, it represents His body. The juice represents his blood. As often as you take this, you celebrate his death till he returns. And for those of you online, thanks for becoming a part of what we're doing. Pray for us and we want to see you in person. So let us continue to worship God with his final song.